What's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, also covering the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. Coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The wait is over, Drancer. For the first time in a long time, it is a Vancouver Canucks game day. Finally. <laughs> Let's go, too. This is a great hockey game day if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan. Yes. Right? I mean, you've got this big game, 4 p.m., probably the start of what promises to be the most fun stretch of hockey mm-hmm. that fans of this franchise have gotten to enjoy in 10 years. I mean, we know what the schedule looks like. The team enters this sort of unofficial second half of the season with 71. I mean, I was thinking about it last night. They could go 500 the rest of the way and end up with 104 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is it. Like, win the West, the stakes are high. Win the Pacific, the stakes are high. And then tonight, you've got this game against a, a team that's averaged, you know, 115 points the last three years in the Carolina Hurricanes. And then that Edmonton-Vegas game afterwards, which has big-time implications for this team, right? Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's just tonight's going to be so much fun if you're a Vancouver hockey fan. It's going to be great. It's been uh, It feels like it's been forever since we've seen this team play hockey. A lot has happened since we've seen this team uh, play hockey, including a big trade. So we've got a lot to get into on a game day today. Let's get right into the whiteboard. All right now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today, February 6th. And, of course, the Canucks are in Carolina to visit the Hurricanes. And uh, a former Hurricane drafted by the team by Jim Rutherford, Elias Lindholm, will make his Canucks debut tonight. And looking at this matchup generally, Drancer, as you said, we're used to Carolina being an elite team, certainly in the regular season in the NHL, racking up wins and points at a really impressive clip. You know, Earlier this season, and of course the Canucks beat the Hurricanes uh, in Vancouver in December, that loss by Carolina, the win by Vancouver, dropped Carolina to 14-12-1. So really just a hair over 500. And, you know, they were kind of scuffling a little bit. I think they had a players-only meeting after that loss to the Canucks. Since then, whatever they said in that meeting, since then it really worked. They've been one of the best teams in hockey. 750 points percentage since then. And I think starting to look a lot more like those familiar Carolina Hurricane teams we've we've gotten used to seeing the last few years here. Yeah, yeah, and that's always going to happen to them because of the way they control play, mm-hmm. right? Which I'm really curious to see how this works tonight or like how this shapes the matchup tonight, especially because the leverage of getting the first goal feels especially high. The Canucks have done a great job opening the scoring for the most part this season. Um, it matters a lot against the Carolina Hurricanes because if you can get them in a spot where they're pushing, uh, it's a lot more comfortable than you know, trying to get the puck away from them as they stack up those heavy shifts and and don't even have to be sort of stressed out to score, which can be their issue sometimes. 
uh, especially against a, a team like we know what the Canucks can do in terms of finishing. So for me, the first goal actually matters tonight. I know that's a, an old hockey truism, but it's something that I'm really curious to see how that shapes the game script this evening. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, another thing I'm watching, and again, Elias Lindholm making his debut, so there's going to be all eyes uh, mm-hmm. on him and, and you know how he's used, what kind of role he plays. Is there evident chemistry uh, between him and Elias Pettersson? And we can get a little bit more into that, but from a kind of team versus team point of view, here as well you know Carolina two elite special teams units right both the power play and the penalty kill really really strong and as we look at the Canucks and we start to wonder you know what's this team going to do between now and the playoffs obviously the penalty kill still an area in need of improvement now Lindholm should help there and certainly the Canucks hope he will help there and and you know I think wondering what the final form or the best form they can find at least of the power play is going to be is an interesting question as well because we've seen it be so hot we know the talent is there uh, for it to be our, you know one of the best units in the league but it's also been kind of hot and cool at different points this year so the Lindholm debut is a big thing but also specifically you know his role on both special teams and in general, how the Canucks can perform against a really, really good special teams uh, team tonight in Carolina, I think is going to be worth watching. For sure, especially with the new alignment for the Canucks five on four, including uh, JT Miller in the middle. You know, that spot is typically called like the bumper spot, but Mm -hmm. really the the player that's in the middle there can be a weapon. And, And I'm curious to see if it unleashes in any way some of the movement stuff, some of the move the puck around so as to create down low two-on-ones. Like, I'm curious to see if Miller in that spot's able to freelance a bit yep. and, and sort of give us a different distillation of this kind of talk-it movement system that we've seen succeed and then also have some fits and starts over the course of the season. Well, I think he's going to have to. And I think Talkit will want him to, of course, right? But you can't, you don't want yeah, to... it could be fun. You don't want to <laughs> fall more than anything into, what I'm yeah, spotlighting. You don't want to fall into a power play configuration where... JT Miller doesn't have a lot of opportunities to touch the puck, right? You've talked a lot about, you know, just his incredible IQ in that scenario. We've all seen mm-hmm. him, how effective he can be skating downhill, you know, waiting for the goalie to just lean the wrong way and then picking his spot and scoring or dishing off. You, you don't want to take that away too much. You want to have different looks you can do, right? But when you have a guy who's as good with the puck on his stick on, on the power play as JT Miller is, you know, you want to make sure you can get him in that role as much as possible. And that's why I do think we will see Lindholm get some time in the bumper. We will still see Brock Besser get some time in the bumper. They just seem like more natural, hey, we're going to get you the puck, you shoot, it fits. Not that JT Miller can't do that. It's just he can do a lot of other things on top of it. Yeah, well, that's what Tuckett's wanted since day one, right, is the three guys with some movement, Mm. um, you know, especially. And it it does feel like they've gotten away from that at points as the power play is, uh, you know, come back down to earth in terms of what it's accomplished. It, It ran hot again, though. It's worth noting for the like three weeks before the All-Star break. And now there's a new body in front of the net. So it'll be fascinating to see how that changes things. I, I just think Miller Miller in the middle to me is going to be a, a really fascinating subplot to watch. Just I'm just so curious to see what it looks like yep. and if they can, you know, tap into something there. Yeah. And if it does, if, if putting him in that position kind of naturally leads to more movement because he does want to go get on the puck a little bit more. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. And I don't mean that in a bad sense. Like, he's going to be doing it irresponsibly. It's just, well, that's good because that's kind of what you want, and it forces movement uh, from everyone else. So 
that's a little look at the uh, the Canucks and the Hurricanes tonight and the matchup out east. And we'll talk a little bit more about that with uh, Corey Lavalette from the North State Journal at 1230. Get his some uh, some of his perspective on the Hurricane season and where the team stands right now. In terms of headlines, I did want to mention this. Uh, Arsteep Baines was, the, of course, the yep. Abbotsford Canucks representative at the AHL All-Star Game, and he had himself a night, takes home All-Star yeah. Game MVP honors with five points, also scored the game-winning goal in the like shootout challenge uh, portion of the game. So huge night for Arsteep Baines, fun experience for him, and you know a, a big feather in his cap. And look, you don't let an all-star game influence the decisions you're making about a player or anything like that. Do you call him up to the NHL? But I did think it was just worth noting, you know, we've talked to Arshdeep Baines this year. It's been fun to kind of monitor his progress and see what he's doing. We talked to Jeremy Colleton last week and, hey, he's making real strides away from the puck. And you do kind of start wondering, is there going to be a point this season when Arshdeep Baines gets rewarded, gets, gets that call up from the Canucks based on the incredible season he's having? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's just like you don't change your opinion or or your evaluation, but when you've got a guy who's, you know, from the point that he was signed as an undrafted free agent had this kind of rise and he goes and does something cool, has a special night on a big stage for him, you know, it's just like another sign of progress, another uh, bit of positive reinforcement, right, that there's something here. And and I think the organization believes that, right? Like I think Baines and Pod Colson – loom large in this mm-hmm. club's imagination, both in terms of uh, depth options for this season, potentially, although in Pod Colson's case, I, I know for sure there's no rush, right? And that's and that's a point of emphasis, but beyond, right? And that's sort of where I think the idea that you're going to struggle to have as much depth as this team has without internal improvement from players like Baines mm-hmm. and Pod Colson giving you options this summer. You know, I, I know as this club straddles the here and now, the desire to seize this opportunity in front of the club, and that's obviously the primary focus. You know, it's really beyond this season where I think Baines looms large in Canucks planning, and this is just another sort of quality check mark to get yep. on the way. Yeah, it's just, again, it's, it's look, we understand it's an all-star game, it's an exhibition environment, yeah. right? So you're not going to say, wow, like, you have to call him up after this, but it's just, no. as you said, a big night, a special night for a player who's taken these incredible strides, who, you know, has a chance to really be a, a proof of concept kind of signing for this organization. I don't just mean in terms of, like, you know, us giving them credit, but we've already seen them use Arshdie Baines to, you know, address the prospects at prospect development camp, talk about his experience. And as he continues to take uh, these strides and develop like this, I mean, that's a huge example. You can hold up to the other types of players coming into your organization and say, Hey, look what he did. Look at the work he put in. And now the opportunities that he's getting and Hey, maybe it's next year. Maybe it is some point, uh, this season, I mean, look, you know, Rick Tockett's openly talking about there being jobs open in the top six, so you mm. never know. Don't rule it out, but uh, cool night for Arshdeep Baines, and yeah, his NHL future is going to be very, very interesting to see when he does get that opportunity. Uh, those are your headlines for today in the whiteboard. To the broadsheet, and I did want to, um, you know, there was, there was lots of talk about uh, Rick Tockett's commentary about Ilya Mikheyev yesterday, of course, and uh, I was listening to Dan and Sat yesterday on Canucks Central, and I thought Sat made some interesting points. Uh, no offense, Reach, but I thought Sat, Sat made some... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't planning to say it like that, but uh, I thought Sat made a good point, just kind of in the conversation of what will the Canucks do? Are they done? What kind of moves are we going to see? And Sat said, you know, at this point, 
there's a kind of logic where it's easy to look at it and say, okay, we've already spent our assets to go get Lindholm, and that's going to make us more conservative. But there is this logic where the more you spend on a season, in some ways it makes sense to keep spending on that season because you've raised the stakes and you've raised the expectations, right? And if you are looking at this season as important enough to go out and make a Lindholm-type acquisition – Obviously, you have really, really high expectations. And so, you know, if there is a player in your lineup that maybe you don't think is quite living up to the role, maybe you don't think is quite living up to the salary, is there a situation where you decide to get, you know what, we actually have to go out and get another player to bring in? I don't, Sat wasn't reporting like, oh, they're shopping Mikheyev or anything, but just bringing that up that, hey, Look, he makes money. Would he would he be possible to move? Could you explore something like that? And I think just in general, Sat reemphasizing also, you know, looking for that kind of heavy forechecking player that can complement stars in your top six. But I thought it was an interesting point about the stakes are high. So that means if you if there's any marginal upgrades you can find, it makes sense to go and be aggressive about them. Yeah, you know, I think the Canucks, I was thinking about this a little bit last night in the context of Lindholm's debut. And, you know, there's a player type you'll get sometimes on teams that go deep into the Stanley Cup final. I'm thinking about like Michael Amadio last Mm -hmm. year for Vegas where, you know, he's playing top nine minutes. Is he a a second line caliber piece? Like it doesn't really matter by the time you get to that point of the year. Like what matters is can he sort of hold serve? Can he not hurt you? in middle six minutes playing with star players who are expected to drive. And it does kind of feel like the Canucks maybe need one more of those guys. Uh, But that's not to say that the answer is not internal and playing on the third or fourth line currently, right? Like I I do think there's different guys who could potentially do that. And, you know, as we consider this charmed season for, for the Canucks to this point, like, you know, they haven't hit any of those ruts where they've had to really rethink Mm. sort of their their overall forward configuration. I mean, we've seen them tinker, like let's load up the the top line, stuff like that. But, you know, the, we talked about it yesterday. The third line's mostly been fixed, right? Yep. We have a good sense of what the fourth line's going to look like. It's It's been, you know, we know that Pedersen Miller on different lines um, has been the case for what, you know, 45 of this team's games. So, you know, I, I do think the... I, I guess over the balance of the season, what's going to be interesting to see is how much change we see in, in terms of how different guys are used and can they find other options internally, uh, moving them into different responsibilities or ultimately ahead of the deadline, do they decide we really do need that box? Well, it's like, a, that's going to be that's yeah, going to be fascinating. It's a good point, and it, I do wonder. You know, we talked about this yesterday, right? But you kind of said, okay, look, I expect them to cool their heels here a little bit. They have this chance. Mm-hmm. Now you bring Lindholm in. You kind of go with your first choice configuration. You see how that works. You have a chance to gather some information and I think try some of these internal options. I do think we're getting pretty good insight into their vision of the top six, which is two star level duos, right? In Miller and Besser and Pedersen and Lindholm, and then finding the really quality supporting pieces that, as you say, you might might not scream like top six player when you just look at them on paper, but that have the skill set and can complement uh, those types of star players really well, right? So, like, I don't think we're talking about, hey, can they go out and find a way to get Gensel, too? I think we're talking about, can they go and find a guy who checks those boxes, you know, like a, a super-powered version of Phil Giuseppe, right? Who does all those things mm. that Rick Tockett really likes, that earned him a spot with Miller and Besser, but just has a little bit more uh, upside and, and oomph as a player, right? I think that's what we're talking about. And so, 
what I would expect to see is, okay, we're going to give the internal candidates some opportunities. I mean, we've talked about, obviously, Mikheyev's in there, you know, Hoaglander, Garland, I, like Dakota Joshua, I think, could be an option, well, right? We're talking about that I heavy forechecking fold, player. I also think you can, we can fold Pew Suter playing with yep. Miller tonight into this conversation. Yep. I think that's fair, right? So I think we're going to see those options tried, and there are internal options, but then at a certain point, do you like how much value do you put on going out and finding uh, an external option as well, right? Especially if you're able to do it without sacrificing too much off your roster, because then you're increasing, you know, you're increasing what's already a strength, which is the forward depth of this team. Yeah. No, it's uh, again. I mostly just expect them to watch closely, yeah. and I, I still think defense is going to come out ahead in their assessment of what they want to add, if they're sort of looking for that one final finishing piece. Um, but, you know, if there's a glue guy type forward that they think can give them an upgrade, especially if that player has size, I'm sure they'll yeah. be tempted. Yeah. And as you said, I like the Michael Amadio, that, that's a good comp, right? If nobody is like, it's not a sexy player. Nobody's like, oh, wow, we got Michael Amadio. But then he's just really, really effective, compliments the star players really well. I think that would be a, a great fit, that type of player uh, in the yeah, Canucks just- top six just doesn't get chased right yeah. like allows you to sort of hold allows your star players to hold serve yeah contributes to that environment in the playoffs um so you don't have to shorten your bench so you've got that ability to fatten your lineup I mean it does feel like the Canucks need someone to step up and bring that uh, a little higher up the lineup in their case top line second line lineup notes for today just an optional skate for the morning skate in Carolina of course the team practice Sunday and Monday coming out of the all-star break so two good practices talk it as he frequently does gives the team the option today at the morning skate so no updated lines or anything but I mean look we saw the same lineup twice in a row at these two practices so I'll just run through it if people have forgotten or or weren't aware Uh, Miller and Besser skating with Pew Suter on the top line Patterson between Mikheyev and Lindholm Bluger Joshua Garland of course Niels Amon Hoagland, Niels Hoaglander, and Sam Lafferty on the fourth line. And then on the blue line, uh, it was Hughes Hronick, Cole Myers, and Zadorov, and Juleson. And then, of course, the first power play unit, Lindholm sliding in to complement Besser, Miller, Pedersen, and Hughes. So that's very much uh, what we would expect to see tonight, at least to start. Who knows when the tinkering will begin from Rick Tockett with the options he has now. Uh, anything else to report on the ground from, uh, from game day skate there, Drance? No, <laughs> no, nothing significant. Zero. Looking forward to Absolutely this one. nothing. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah, but uh, as we said, we have a pretty good idea of what to expect, yep. uh, how they're going to line up, despite despite the optional morning skate. Um, playoff forecast. I mean, look, not a lot to update here. The, the league's really just getting back going uh, after the All Star break here. So first big slate of games tonight. I mean, I do want to highlight. You mentioned it off the top of the show. Obviously, everyone's hyped for the Canucks to get back on the ice and uh, and Vancouver and the Hurricanes to play tonight. But in terms of out-of-town scoreboard watching, Vegas-Edmonton is a huge one for the Vancouver Canucks here because right. is this is this Edmonton streak going to end? Like, what are they going to do? They've been so on fire uh, for so long now, even going back beyond the 16-game winning streak. And I, I think we're really kind of waiting to see is there going to be an actual race between Edmonton and the Canucks mm. for the Pacific Division crown, right? And then there's also, you know, at where Vegas finishes comes into play uh, with this game tonight as well. Well, you know, the, the prize for winning the Pacific, I, it feels like, isn't so much that you duck Vegas 
and Edmonton, assuming that they'd finish two and three, which is highly likely with the Kings, yep. you know, month six week skid um, coming out of the All Star break here. But to lock them into a matchup against one another <laughs> feels very that would be pretty crucial. good. Pretty That's, good. You know, I mean, if you're building a short list of five teams, right, like five shortlist teams to win the Stanley Cup, I think Edmonton and Vegas should rightly be on it. And by the way, I think if you're putting the Canucks on the fringes of that list too, I think that's fair. But the point is, is in this division, right, the ability of one of those teams, and most likely it's Vancouver Edmonton, to lock the other two into a head-to-head, um, that feels... That feels impactful this year. Yes, I would say so. And, you know, looking at uh, at Dom's playoff forecast, so basically I'll, I'll round up a little bit here, but basically both teams have about a 70% chance of finishing either second or third. You know what I mean? So right. maybe maybe Oilers second, uh, Golden Knights third, or less likely the other way. But so those pretty high odds of that being your 2-3 matchup in the Pacific. And if you're rooting for that, and I think you're absolutely right from a Canucks fan perspective, that's the thing to root for. <laughs> yeah. That means you're cheering for the Golden Knights tonight, right? Like, you want to keep that dogfight. You want to bring Edmonton back away from the Canucks. You want Vegas to go out and get that regulation win and just increase the odds of those two teams clashing in the first round. Well, especially because Edmonton's route, like, their road here is pretty narrow, right? A Canucks win tonight and a... Edmonton regulation loss makes it prohibitive, right? I mean, Edmonton needs like Vancouver to slow down. Yeah. But if Vancouver keeps just like pace, even to 60, 70% of what the Oilers do, they should be able to finish ahead of them, right? So Vancouver's path is wide. Edmonton's is narrow. Tonight's going to loom large there. And what a great night of hockey yeah. to welcome it back from the All Star break. But yeah, since December 13th, uh, now Edmonton lost three games in that in this stretch before going on their yeah. sixteen game win streak, but still they've played nineteen games. Edmonton has thirty two points. The Canucks have thirty two points in twenty games, so basically <laughs> zero points or like one point if you want to do it on points percentage that Edmonton has made up in almost two months. I, I was right. Well, I was shaking my head because you go back exact. You have to go back now more than two months to find the Canucks' third regulation loss. And that just blew my mind when I sort of like put that phrase together in my head. I was just like, oh, my God, this is this is something. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty wild. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild <laughs> at this point. And we'll see if it continues tonight in Carolina. We'll wrap up the whiteboard for today uh, with the gambling update. Transfer. Yeah. Canucks plus 125. You can find them at plus 130. Uh, road underdogs going into Carolina tonight. Carolina priced between minus 145 and minus 155. That's like a 60% win rate. That's a pretty respectful uh, money line in Carolina's favor. Uh, the over under opened at five and a half, but I think the market really liking Vancouver's chance of putting up some goals uh, against, you know, Carolina goaltending, which has been average at best mm -hmm. this year. It's gotten steamed up to six and a half. You can get even money or even plus 105 on the over. Um, you'll get less steam, minus 125 or so, on the under six and a half going into tonight's game. Now, I have so seen some people kind of questioning, is there some disrespect from the odds makers to the Canucks going into this game? And I mean, look, it's still you're still on the road playing a team that's been like the fourth best team in hockey over the last couple of months here. Now the Canucks have been like the second best team in hockey over the last couple of months. So I can see it from that perspective, but look, you break this down as kind of a road meeting against a team. That's roughly your equal, if not viewed as a little superior. I, I don't think this is a big sign of disrespect. I think maybe you look at it more as 
uh, a sign of confidence in the Carolina Hurricanes rebound. But that is... Uh, yeah, I think it's... I mean, Carolina has the fifth best odds to win the Stanley Cup, right? Yep. Only Florida, Boston, Edmonton, Colorado have shorter odds in terms of a consensus look at the books. Um, you know, the Canucks are ninth or tenth. Now, should the Canucks be ahead of, like, the Maple Leafs and the Stars? I'd say, yeah, that makes sense to me. So if you want to say... Hey, you know, Vegas is still uh, sleeping on the Canucks a little bit. I think that's fair, but I think this one in particular is is more reflective of the respect that the, the market has in the quality of this Hurricanes team. That's the whiteboard for today, February 6th. It's a Canucks game day. They're playing the Hurricanes. We'll chat Hurricanes with Corey Lavalette from the North uh, State Journal coming up next year on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.